Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, especially if you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up. Grab one of these as our gift to you and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. As you're turning there, there, there's this, this, this paradox of the Christian life. This idea where, where we see in Scripture clearly, we see in our experience that, that the Christian life is one that, that you're, through Christ, you're ushered into a life that is the most joyful and fulfilling life you could ever imagine. But the paradox is it's also an incredibly difficult life. I mean, Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that he's come to give us life and life more abundant. Psalm 84.10 says that it's, it's better to spend one day with God than 10,000 days anywhere else. So we, we get this idea that with Christ, life is abundant and full. But Jesus isn't some sort of smiley-faced preacher guy who comes and says, hey, if you just follow me, you'll have your greatest life ever starting right today, and it'll always be good. No, Jesus is so clear that if you're going to follow him, there's going to be cost to that. And he, he tells his disciples, even later on in this book of Matthew, he, he tells them, if you want to follow me, you're going to need to take up your cross to follow me. Now, that, that image of bearing a cross, it's, it's lost a bit of its weight in our culture. We, we don't hear it the same way that Christ's followers at that time would have heard it. I mean, we wear crosses as jewelry. People get it tattooed on their body. People put up pictures or, or little crosses in their homes. But, but to the people who first heard that, hey, if you want to follow me, you're going to take up a cross. It was the symbol of oppression and torture and death. So, I mean, even if you saw a cross in this culture, there would, there would be this horror it would well up into your heart. And so imagine for us, to put it in context for us, say, say after church, you're like, hey, I'm gonna come over to somebody's house for, for lunch. And you come into their house and as you walk in, uh, in their living room, there's this picture of a beheading. Like, well, that, that's pretty odd that you put that up on your wall. And you, they say, hey, you wanna come see our new nurse? We just had, had another baby and going to come see it. And hanging over the baby's crib is a noose. Right? You're thinking, yeah. I'm not so hungry, maybe, you know, we actually have to go. We're not going to be able to be here. You're definitely not having playdates with your kids at that person's house, right? And yet, what do we do? We put crosses up everywhere. Those who first heard this call of take up the cross, they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said it. They'd seen numerous Roman crucifixions. They'd seen people walking through the city carrying the, the, the cross beam of the cross on their shoulders, weighing about 100 pounds. They, they saw them being walked out and, and taken to the execution site. When you, when you took up your cross, you'd said goodbye to everything, to all your friends. You said goodbye to your life because you were going to die. To take up your cross meant your life as you knew it right now, it was over. And Jesus says, that's the life I'm calling you to. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, hey, if, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, we're all suckers for living this life of cross-carrying. That's what Paul says. He, he says, listen, if you're going to give your life to Christ, this life of, of sacrifice, of, of persecution, where, where, where you're not living for your greatest day today, but you're living for a reward in eternity, a hope that you have, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, then we're all fools. 
Paul didn't say if Jesus was a hoax, well, at least we still lived a really good life. He's saying, no, if if you truly are following Christ, you could never say that because you should be living a life where if if Jesus wasn't real, you would be pathetic. It would would be a horrible, why would you give up everything for something that isn't real? So my question this morning is what part of your life, what part of my life makes no sense except for Jesus? I mean, are you following Christ? I mean, to follow Jesus, to have a reckless abandon for him, to, to really take up your cross, to, to really live sacrificially, we need to grab a hold of the reality that Jesus, you're worth it all. And so I'll, I'll do these things that seem ridiculous because Christ, you're real and you've called me to take up my cross. And, and here in, in Matthew's gospel, as he gives the account of Christ, I mean, right out of the gate, You see this hard call of following Jesus. Even in the Christmas story, you see how difficult it is to follow Jesus. Look at verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It says she was betrothed to Joseph. What does that mean? What's betrothed? Here's what goes on in that culture. When a young couple gets married, they would legally be married, but they weren't allowed to, to come together, to live together, to be together, all right? That's what it says. They hadn't come together yet. They hadn't lived or slept together. You know, that's what they're saying. And because you would wait a year before that would happen. Now, one of the reasons that they would do this is they wanted to be sure that the bride was pure, because here's what's going on. In those days, marriages were arranged. Like the, you, Your parents would choose your spouse for you. Very happy we don't do that anymore. Are you not? Right? I'm happy because there's no way Libby's dad would have chosen me. Right? <laughs> it's like, long-haired guy, canoes for a living? Yeah, not on the top of my list for husbands for you, Libby. Right? right? But So they would choose. And so if you're going to choose your spouse... For your, for your son, so you're going to choose this bride. You want to make sure she's pure. Why is that? Because you're going to pay this huge price. The Hebrew word is, is mohar. You're going to, you're going to play the, pay this mohar for, for this bride. This, this amount of money goes. Now, I do like that tradition. I wish we would. I have three daughters. Let's bring that one back, all right? You can pay lots of money for my daughters. No, that's not saying that at all. But here's, so if you... <clears throat> If you pay big bucks, you want to be sure what you're paying for, that this girl is pure. So they required this year. So, okay, you can get married. We're now going to wait a year because in that year's time, if she's pure, it's going to be shown, right? If she's not, you're going to see in a year whether or not she's pregnant, And if after that year she's not pregnant, great, now you guys can move in together. Well, during this betrothal period, what happens? Mary shows up pregnant, now, imagine yourself as Joseph, and Mary shows up and goes, hey, I, I, I'm with child, but it's from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, right, you're catching it. Can, would you have believed that? Would, I can imagine Joseph going, really, really? The Holy Spirit got you pregnant. And, and who told you? Like, did a winged fairy riding a unicorn let you know this? <laughs> right, and Mary's like, mm, an angel did, Right? But here's Joseph, this honorable man, this kind man. Look at verse 19. 
and her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what's it saying there? He's saying he's going to break the betrothal quietly. Legally, he could have grabbed Mary and dragged her through town as a harlot. And, and, and even, listen, if the Romans would look the other way, because the Romans didn't allow them to, to, to do capital punishment, but it still happened in that day. If the Romans looked the other way under Jewish law, legally, he could have her put to death for this. I mean, do, do you ever wonder why God choose, chose to, to do it this way? I mean, think about what's going on here. Jesus coming to earth as the hope of the world, and he ruins Mary and Joseph's lives. Their reputations are done. The, the angel didn't send a bulletin out for everybody, all right? Didn't tell their whole neighbor, hey, here's what's going on. So, so from that point on, Mary would have been thought of as an impure girl. A few years later, when you get together and you'd be remembering people you went to high school with, hey, hey, Mary, what about, oh yeah, I heard she got pregnant. I mean, for, for Joseph to, to not put his wife away, for Joseph to receive Jesus in this point, if, if he marries, if he says, that I'm going to bring Mary in as my wife still, he's bringing the shame on him as well. Think about it. People will do the math, will they not? Okay, wait a minute, you guys were married on this date and nine counted back, right? The only way that Joseph could be free in this moment, the only way he could save his reputation would be if he divorces her, if he, if he sends her away. And then what happens is he's in the clear. Only Mary has to bear the shame. And Joseph's saying, I don't want this child in my life because if I bring this child into my life, the world will look down on me. I'm going to be ostracized. My, my life will be ruined. And this thing we celebrate as such a beautiful day that it is, Christmas is beautiful, it, it ruined both Joseph and Mary's reputations. It, it ruined their chance of having this dream wedding. We read on in Matthew, we're going to see next Sunday, soon they're going to have to even flee their family and their homeland for Egypt because of Jesus. Now, what's going on here? What's being laid out for us here? We, we saw last week, reading through the genealogy, that, that God was showing us something in the, in the family line of Jesus. He was showing us that, that Jesus came for the broken, for the messed up. That he didn't come from a perfect family. He didn't come for perfect people. He came for you and me. So, so what's happening here? What does God want us to understand in this part of the Christmas story? We get Jesus was not born into a nice, easy situation. He's born into a broken world. And right away, it's so obvious that for us to embrace Jesus, to be Christ followers, to follow him, it's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. To embrace Jesus is costly. I mean, this isn't just a nice story for us to look back on and remember. This is saying, here, here's what Matthew's saying. Here's what the Holy Spirit through Matthew is saying. This is what your life will look like if you follow Jesus. That's the whole point that he's getting at here. And if you're taking notes, this is our first point. I need to give my whole life to follow Jesus. I mean, that's, what, that's what's being spoken here, that, that if I want to be a Christ follower, I need to give my whole life to this. I need to give my whole life to follow Jesus. Verse 20, so Joseph's thinking, you know what, I'm going to just put her away because I, I want to be nice, I want to be kind. And, but verse 20, but as he considered these things, 
I like that. Jo- Joseph took some time to think about it. So often, isn't that when God shows up? Now when we're rushing into everything, we take the time to, to let, let me consider what's going on. So Joseph's considering these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love how the angel starts out. His first words to Joseph are, do not fear. I mean, Joseph thought he was doing the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to divorce my wife quietly. I'm going to be super gracious. I'm being very kind in doing this. And the angel comes in and says, hey, Joseph, you're not being gracious. You're being a coward. You're scared. I mean, think about it. Joseph had to believe in the impossible. He had to risk everything on this call. You know, just this past week, Pastor Lee and I were in Chicago. We're at the Harvest Training Center. They have 40 uh, church planters getting ready to be sent out, uh, sent out right now. This is their last thing they did. They were, so we were there doing some training for them, teaching about what biblical soul care is all about and how to have that, that culture in your church. And, and so I'm meeting a lot of these pastors. And here they are, they want to go out as, as these gospel-saturated, Jesus-centered churches. And this one guy from Rwanda. And I started talking to him about where he's going, and, and he would tear up whenever he would talk about going back home. I mean, he lived through the genocides in Rwanda. And, and now, for, for the last three months, he'd seen what the American dream looks like. He's, he's been in America, and, and so you'd wonder, man, what's that like? Listen, he's so desperate to go back home, to give up all of what he just saw, because he wanted to go back to serve the broken men and women of Rwanda. I mean, think about Pastor Omar, the, the, the guy we're gathering around, the guy we want to support in Mexico. His story is he immigrated to Canada. He's living in Mexico City, realizing, man, I want more for my family than this, for my, my new bride. He's just newly married. He's like, I, w- I want out of here. And he, he's joked to me. He goes, I looked at America. I thought, I don't think they like us as much as Canadians do. So he said, I'm going to go to Canada, all right? <clears throat> and so he, he drops in to Canada. Right away, he's introduced to the gospel. He doesn't know Jesus at this point. Introduced to the gospel, finds, finds this, this uh, a pamphlet that a church had put out to help new immigrants. Goes to this church, he and his wife give their life to Christ and started pouring himself out in this church, just serving and growing and digging into the word. And soon, God began to press in his heart, Omar, you gotta go back to Mexico City. Think about it, that place he left behind for a better life, God's saying, no, you're going back there. And I'm telling you right now, he's coming here for January. He's gonna hang out with us in the month of January. You're gonna hear, you're gonna see it in him. He can't wait to get back. You don't go to Rwanda because you love the culture. You don't leave Canada for a country that you left because you, you have a nice, safe plan for you and your family. You go because you believe there is no other salvation given to us but Jesus. You go because people need to hear. You go because you trust that Jesus has called you and you wanna follow him. So for us here, why would you ever give sacrificially? Why would you ever serve and give up your time? You're not doing it for a warm, fuzzy feeling. 
You're doing it because you're convinced that Jesus is Lord because his kingdom is worth it and you want to surrender everything to follow him. You're like, man, I I don't want to just just give a little bit. I want to give everything to Christ. I want to give my time, my resources, my heart, my family, my life to this. And the only reason for us to live this way as being all in for Christ is you, because you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that his promises are true, that his kingdom is eternal. And so if, if in your walk with Christ, if you find it difficult to follow Jesus, maybe at school, it's, just, it's a hard place to live out your faith. It's a hard place to, to be a Christ follower in the context of, of school. Or maybe it's at your workplace. Like this is, it's a difficult place to live out the gospel. But maybe for you, it's in your family. And it's so hard to live the call that Christ has on your life. Listen, the solution to that is not to strengthen your resolve. It's not, well, I, I gotta try harder at this. I gotta, I gotta do this better. No, the solution to that is, is see Jesus again. It's to see his promises, to, to trust his promise of a new life, to to trust that Jesus is the greater treasure. I mean, people who don't trust God's promises, you you might give a little bit, but you're never gonna give with joy. You're never gonna give sacrificially. I mean, to to live out the gospel fully, to, to forgive people who have wronged you, to forgive people who have hurt you deeply, I mean, outside of seeing Jesus Christ and all that he is and all of his forgiveness poured out on you, extending forgiveness will always be hard if you can't see that. The grace to forgive, it begins when we see the cross and we see God's forgiveness is bigger than my forgiveness. And, and God's ability to bring about his good plans are far greater than anybody else's ability to bring evil plans into my life. And when we see that, we can... Forgive. We can take that step of of loving, of laying ourselves down, laying our agendas down, laying our justice down. To to step out in faith when fear screams so loudly, to, to submit to what God says about you, to submit to say, this is my identity in Christ, even though the world is screaming a whole different identity at you, even though you've submitted your heart so often to what the world says you should look like and be like, even though you submitted to your own heart so often, maybe in front of that mirror and you say, man, this is who I am, and, and it's so much louder to, to have that joy to walk forward in the, the, the truth of the image of Christ is when we rest in what Jesus says about us. You say, I believe this. I believe who Jesus says I am. And to follow Jesus, we need to see and fully trust Jesus. Mary and Joseph here in, in, in the very first Christmas, they were losing everything. They were losing their good name. They were losing their dreams. They eventually would lose their family and friends. And we are called as Christ followers to give everything up to follow Christ. Everything. Not just sin, for sure we're called to, to renounce sin, to, to give up that sin in our life, but, but more than that, we're, we're to give up our whole life for Christ. You can't call Jesus Savior without calling him your Lord and Master. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Joseph waited a whole nine months longer before he was able to be with his wife. He had every right under Jewish law. Hey, I've waited the betrothal period. It's now time. We can now come together as husband and wife. But he said, I want to do what the Lord called me to do. When Jesus calls us, we, we no longer have the right to do what we want to do with our time, with our money, with our resources, with our dreams. We need to say like Joseph, I give it all up to embrace Jesus. Think about your life right now. I mean, are, are there things in your life right now where God has made it so clear? He's pressing in on your heart saying, hey, hey, this is mine. And you've been holding on to it. And God's saying, lay it down. Lay it, maybe it's a sin you need to lay down. Maybe it's bitterness and unforgiveness that you just keep going back to and keep holding on to. And God's saying, you need to let that go. You need to lay that down. Maybe it's a sacrifice you know you've been called to make. Maybe with your time or with your finances, you, you know God's been pressing in on your heart for this and God's been saying, let go of that. Let go of it and follow me. I mean, look what the angel says to, to Joseph back up again in verse 21. He says, she's gonna bear a son and you'll, you'll call his name Jesus. That's pretty important. Right away, the angel says, hey, hey, you have this son coming and you're gonna call him this. Well, what's the angel saying? The angel's saying this, hey, Joseph, you're the parent, but you don't get to name this baby. I mean, naming your child is a way of saying, this is my child. I care for this. I have authority over this. You start a business, you get to name your own business. You have a child, you get to name your child. And the angel says this, no, 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 no. If you embrace this child, this child doesn't come under your authority. You come under his. You don't name this child. This child's going to name you, Joseph. So what's he saying? He's saying this. Listen, when we follow Christ, we, we bring our lives in surrender under a new king. We, we say, my kingdom is over. I want your kingdom, and you're the king, and, and what you want for my life. I think so often we think of following Jesus as, you know, here's my plans for my life. I'm going to write up this whole contract, and I want this to happen, and this to happen, and this to happen. And then we hand it to God going, God, could you please sign that and bless that? God says, that, that's not how it works. And he hands us back a blank contract. He says, no, no, you sign it and follow me. You don't get to name God. God names you. And so we get to a place where we say, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. You're the king. And unless we say that, Jesus does not come in at all. Jesus comes into our lives as Lord and as King, not for us to name him, but for him to name us. And, and let's be honest, this isn't always easy. It's not always comfortable living our life that way. It messed up Joseph's life. And there's so many here you serve so faithfully in our church and in our community and, and, and around in, the, in, in your town and where you're living. And, and I know you don't do it because it's convenient, because it's comfortable. You don't do it because it fits easily into your schedule. No, you do it because you're committed to Jesus. I mean, there's so many broken people in our communities, and, and I'm not saying, hey, we need to reach out into these broken areas because it's going to be super fun, it's going to be great and comfortable. No, we do it. Why? Because Jesus has called us to serve the least of these. Sharing the gospel is rarely easy. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm just not one of those guys who has a thousand stories of, yeah, I just sat down on a plane and I, just, I got to turn to someone because it was just so fun to tell them, hey, I want to tell you that you're going to hell, right? It's just not an enjoyable conversation to have, is it? You don't do it because it's comfortable and enjoyable. No, why do you do it? You do it because you love Jesus and you want to reach out to those who Jesus loves. And I'm not saying that, that you have to serve everywhere in your community. You have to be everywhere at all times. But, but is there anything in your life that's uncomfortable for the cause of Christ? Is there anything in your life you say, man, this is awkward and uncomfortable and inconvenient for me, but this is where Jesus has called me to? If you're never uncomfortable, if you're never inconvenienced, or you never sacrifice for the cause of Christ, I think we need to stop and look around and go, am I actually following Jesus here? I would say this, if, if, if the defining characteristic of, of what you're looking for in a church is, man, I want to go to a church where everything's going to be convenient and comfortable for me, man, where you can cater to all my needs, where it's going to be easy, that's not the kind of church we are here. Our priority is not your comfort. Our priority is Jesus Christ. Our priority is coming together, together, shoulder to shoulder for the mission of Christ. And listen, because that's our mission, I'm telling you, this church will always be messy. Because God's main business is not making sure that life is gentle and sweet for us. God's main business in our lives is not to be sure that we have the, a really good job and everything's going well in our home and, and on our days off, we always have great weather. God's main business is to make us more like Jesus. And he, and he calls us to this life saying, I'm gonna make you more like my son. And he calls us to a life more abundant. And I gotta tell you, so often I find myself saying, but I don't wanna go where you're calling me. I'm just gonna stay here where it's more comfortable and I'll call you when I need you. And I think this is the abundant life. God's saying, I've got so much more for you. Joseph here called to trust his life to Jesus. <coughs> How do we do this? How, how do we step out into this abundant life of following Christ? How do we live as Christians who have said, I am all in for this, all the chips to the middle of the table, my whole life is gonna be about Jesus. How do you do this? I mean, Jesus called his disciples to follow him and leave everything, and they did. Then he said, take up your cross, and they did. And he says to Peter at the end of John, in John chapter 21, he says, hey, Peter, you're going to die for my name. I mean, if that's the call on our lives, how do we do this? Here's our second and last point this morning is this. I can give my life, my whole life to Jesus when I fully see Jesus. I can give my whole life to Jesus when I fully see Jesus. The angel says to Joseph, he says to them, he says, hey, don't fear. Then verse 23, quoting Isaiah, he says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That word behold, it's a very strong word. It's, it's saying, hey, hey, look at this. You need to look here. And when you see this, when you behold this, it will change everything. Jesus, you're calling me to a life of a reckless abandon and sacrificing it all for you. How am I going to do this? And Jesus, no, no, behold, look at this. This changes everything. 
It reminds me of the story in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha has a servant with him, and, and, and they're now they're hiding out because they know that they're being hunted down by this other king, and, and the servant steps out of the room they're in, and he looks out, and this army is fully surrounding the city they're in. This enemy army that's coming after them, and the servant's freaking out. He runs into Elisha, and he's like, Elisha, you got to come out and see this. We're doomed. It's over. And Elisha says, hey, don't be afraid. And so he's like, what are you, you talking? Why would I not be? Can you not see around you? And Elisha says, no, you can't see. And he prays, God, open his eyes so he can see. And then he says, behold. He says, look. The servant looks up, and this, this army that's surrounding the city, surrounding this army, is flaming chariots of God's army all are the, that made that army look puny. And it changed everything. Because of what he saw, it changed everything. The fear was gone. And so what's this angel telling Joseph to look at? He's saying this, hey, hey, look and see this. Here's the first thing. See the fulfilled promise. When you see the fulfilled promise, it's going to change everything. When you fully see Jesus as the promise fulfilled, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a prophecy, a promise from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It was a promise given 700 years earlier. A promise that was given to this, this wicked king, Ahaz, who, who, again, this Syrian army is coming in to destroy him. He's thinking Israel is done for, and God says, no, no, Israel will not be done for because I'm going to fulfill my promise to Abraham to make a great nation. And he says, in fact, here's how you know that this promise is true and, and this, this prophecy is given. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, the word virgin in, in Hebrew, it can mean one of two things. It can mean a girl who's never been with a man before, or it could just mean a young woman. Now, they obviously took it to mean, well, it must mean the second meaning, because the first one, that makes no sense at all. But if that's the case, what a lame promise that is. Hey, Ahaz, you don't have to worry, because a woman's going to give birth to a baby. How is that a unique promise that I can go, oh, I saw that, so that changes everything. I mean, that's like saying, hey, hey, Ahaz, don't worry because you're going to one day hear a baby crying. Ahaz, don't worry. Here's the sign. A teenager will sleep in past his alarm. <laughs> wow. Right? So, so what happens? So uh, a baby's born in Ahaz at his household. And for 700 years, this prophecy seems kind of weird. Like, what was that prophecy about? It's this, this mystery. It just seems so out of place in Scripture. But now the angel comes, and, and God through the angel says this. This is what I was talking about. It's not just a young woman's going to conceive. No, an actual true virgin, a woman who's never been with a man will conceive. And because of that, I'm not just delivering you from an invading army. I'm delivering you from all evil. I'm delivering you from all your fears. I am fulfilling my promise to Abraham. His promise ultimately fulfilled. And in that moment, Joseph could see. He, he would know the scriptures. He would recognize this and say, man, God's faithful to his promises. Remember the first Christmas, what's going on here, it's in a dark time. Israel's in bondage again, this time under Roman rule. There wasn't a lot of hope in the land, but God takes this obscure prophecy from 700 years ago and says, here it is fulfilled. Listen, for us here today, God kept all his promises then. Listen, he's keeping them all now too. 
We talked about this last week that when life is in chaos at times, that's when God's doing his greatest work. When things seem hopeless and bleak and dark, to trust that God's promises are always true, that he may be doing some of his greatest work right there. And we look around sometimes and we see what's going on, the chaos around us, and we think, God, this is not how I would have done this. I would not have played it out this way. I would not have made it last this long. I would not have done it this way. I would not have created this pain in my life. This is not the life I thought I'd have. And we begin to ask the question, God, can I even trust you? I heard someone say this, if, if we based our trust off of God, if, if, if our kids did the same thing, if my kids based their trust of me, whether I love them on whether or not I gave them everything they asked for, it'd be a pretty weak case for my love, wouldn't it? Because there are times when as a parent, don't you, you know better, right? We're like, no, I know you want this, but this isn't the best thing for you. And, and so our, our trust in God is we trust God. You see the bigger picture. And God, I, I can trust your promise. I see your promises all over scripture. And because I trust in those promises, because I have faith, you're going to fulfill those promises even when it doesn't feel like it's happening. That I know you're doing something greater than I can even see. And God says to us today, look, look, look at Jesus. Look at the one born of a virgin. Look at the one who died on a cross and rose again. Look at my promise fulfilled. See how my word always comes true. That God's saying, hey, hey, in your life right now, you're looking at all the chaos. You're looking at me. God, can you take care of this? And God says, look at my son. I took care of your greatest need. I took care of your need for eternity, your sin to be forgiven, your brokenness to be healed. If I can take care of that, I can take care of this. So what do we do? We see that God's word's always true. We, we, we get under God's promises and it, we can walk in courage. So we see that his promises are fulfilled. Here, here's the second way we see Jesus more fully we see his powerful name. We see his powerful name. He, he's given two names here. Joseph called him Jesus and also called him Emmanuel, which is God with us. And, and so Jesus has these two names given. And what, what's with that? Like, like is, is Jesus his first name? Is his middle name Emmanuel? Like when Jesus goes to Starbucks, which name does he give them to, to put on the cup? Like how to, you put Jesus, Emmanuel, Lord of all, just put that on my cup, right? Like how, how, what's the, the name? What's going on here with these different names? Well, the, the name Jesus, it tells us what he does. The name means God saves. It's his recognition that we're broken apart from God, that we're, we're sinners in need of a savior. And, and God's saying, listen, I'm stepping into your brokenness. My name's Jesus, I've come to save. The, the name Emmanuel tells us who he was, that he was God with us. I mean, you know, in those two names, you, you see Jesus so clearly that, that Jesus was a 100% man. He was God with us, the one who came to save. But he's also not just born as a, as a human. He was also 100% God. Virgin born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully human so he can be our representative, so he can live the life we were supposed to live. He had to face every test we faced. All the tests we failed, he passed them all. He dies a death that we were condemned to die. He, he takes our place on the cross as our representative, and he could only do that if he was fully man. 
but he also had to be fully God because he could never accomplish this unless he was God. And and all through scripture, God didn't say, I'll send somebody to save you. He said, I'm coming myself to save you, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And he's not giving that job out to anyone else. So, So Jesus then, he's God with us, not a distant God, not an uninvolved God, but God with us, the God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the God who who led the the children of Israel through the wilderness. Now when Jesus has come, and through Jesus made a way for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, we're not called to follow a, a distant, uninvolved God who just watches you like a judge. No, you are created to follow a Father who loves you. I mean, do you know God that way? Do you see God as Jesus who saves you, Emmanuel who is with you? When you see Jesus that way, it gives you the strength to follow Jesus. To see that Jesus Christ gave up everything to save you, to see that he's walking with you, to see that he is the ultimate treasure. I love the story Jesus tells in the New Testament of this guy walking in a field. He, he trips over this thing. He, he brushes the, the dirt away and sees this, this treasure that, that is worth more than he would ever imagine. Anything he could ever make in his entire life, he's like, this treasure is awesome. What am I going to do? Here's the cool thing. He runs, and he, he doesn't tell the owner of the land. I like that. He's kind of shady kind of in a way, right? He goes to the owner and says, hey, um, that piece of property, could I buy that? Why would you want that? Ah, just, it's just a nice piece of land. I think it would be kind of nice to have. And, and, the, and the, the owner of the land is like, well, it's been in my family for a while. I don't want to just give it up. He goes, well, just give me a price. How much? And I think even before the guy could get, and he tries to maybe give the highest price, but you don't want to sell, right? So you want to, well, if I'm going to sell it, I'm going to give you this super high price. So as it's coming out of his mouth, the other guy's like, sold, I'll take it. And it says in the scripture that he went and he had to sell everything. He had to liquidate it all. He had to get rid of all his RSPs, everything he owned, all his investments, his house, his car. He gets rid of it all. And Jesus says, why did he do it? He says he did it for the joy. He did it for joy. Why? Because the joy of what he was getting far outweighed the joy of what he's losing. Listen, that's the Christian life. There's both joy and sacrifice, but the joy is so great, the sacrifice seems so small. If you lack sacrifice in your life, if you lack this idea of I'm following Christ with everything, don't focus on striving harder. Don't dig in deeper. Increase your joy. See Jesus for who he is. When you see him as clearly as Joseph saw him, The promise of Jesus, the care of Jesus, the treasure of Jesus. When that joy is strong, you'll you'll forsake everything. When you see the treasure, the sacrifice is not a problem. As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, you know that Joseph is is not heard about again in, in Matthew's gospel here. After chapter two, you don't really read much about Joseph at all, he, he obviously followed Jesus because he, he, he went through with what the angel said to do. Here's what I want us to think about. What would have happened if Joseph had taken the easy route? I mean, what would have happened if he didn't follow the call Christ put in his life? If he didn't believe the angel, if he, if he just divorced Mary quietly, married a different girl, you know, maybe he would have gotten everything he was hoping for. Maybe he would have had the beautiful wedding he'd hoped for. Maybe he would have built up this, this great carpentry business that he was hoping to do. He, he would have gained it all. But listen, he would have missed out on Jesus. I mean, what happens when you choose the easy life? 
What happens when you choose not to forgive? Because it's easier not to forgive. What happens when you choose not to sacrifice? Because it's so much easier not to sacrifice. What happens when you choose not to believe who God says you are? Because it's easier to wallow in the self-pity and the loathing. What happens when you choose not to step out to give everything to Christ? Listen, you might get everything you ever wanted, but you lose Jesus. And I don't know what Jesus is calling you to this morning. Maybe he's calling you to make a decision. Maybe for you this morning is the decision to begin following him. And you've been sort of hanging out on the outside, kind of looking in at what this whole Jesus thing's about, and you've seen the religion of it, and you've, but you, you're like, I've never actually made that call to give my entire life to follow Christ. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today. Maybe you're a Christ follower, but you know Jesus has been pressing in on you calling you for a decision, calling you for a, a sacrifice you need to make, calling you to, to step into a relationship that needs to be healed and, and you're the one God's calling to step into that and even though you're the one who's been hurt. Maybe he's calling you to, to a ministry. God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can make that change and he's making that call. Listen, God has a plan for your life and the, the way you experience the joy of his plan, the way that you experience the joy of following Christ is when you step out and you do it God's way. When you step out, and listen, you're a part of a church where you don't have to do that alone. You're gonna step out in community. You're gonna have people around you saying, let's do this together. And let's see what God will do. I mean, Joseph knew if, if I embrace Christ, I, I lose everything. I, I'm ostracized. The, the world's going to abandon me. My life is going to be ruined. But Joseph's life tells us this this morning. It's worth it. It's worth it. God keeps his promises. Jesus is worth the pain, the shame, the sacrifice, even the dreams that are shattered when you fall. Him. Even if death comes, Jesus is worth it all. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that even this morning that our hearts would turn again to you to see you as the ultimate treasure, the treasure that makes the sacrifice look small. And because of that, we surrender it all. We lay it all down at the cross. We, we, we lay our sin before you. We lay our dreams before you. We lay our hopes before you. We lay our time and our finances before you because we want to surrender it all because you are so worth it, Lord Jesus. Help us this morning to see you for the treasure that you are. Help us to remember your promises are true in our life, lives. Help us to re remember your name, that you saved us, and that you're using us for your glory and our good. Jesus, we surrender it all to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.